podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us Canadian, one of us American, serve you cutting-edge mental health knowledge. I'm Dr. Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist from Pasadena, California. And I'm Dr. Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from Coquitlam. And I'm Joanna Boyd, a psychotherapist from Port Moody. I'm Chris Boyd, a clinical counselor from the greater Vancouver area. Welcome, everybody, to the, I guess they call this the penultimate episode of the of the podcast. Uh, next week will be our final one, at least for, for now. Yes. So this is episode 99. 99. Yes. That is crazy. Two and a half years. It's a lot of podcasts. That's right. A lot of talking. So, but life goes on, right? Life life went on this week. Um, down here, we celebrate something called Valentine's Day. I don't know if that's something you guys do. We don't, know. Weird. Hmm. The, uh, the the Hallmark-created holiday, I guess, has spread all the way up north, has it? Indeed. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, that's fun. It must be, must have been a nice night for people who were out on dates. Uh, uh, nice and warm. Spring is, is uh, emerging, right? Uh, yeah, no, definitely not. So, um, yeah, it's actually, we're in a cold snap. So currently, right now in this moment, it's snowing. Uh, but I was saying, I, I'm pretty sure it, it's not unusual for it to snow on Valentine's Day. I recall in the past handful of years that it has snowed around Valentine's Day. And for me, I really like snow, so it makes it extra special. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like a surprise winter. I don't know if you guys, if you see the memes about that. It's like real or fake winter and then something, something, real winter, fake spring, oh. second like yeah so anyway our winter just keeps kind of popping in and out for one week at a time uh, yeah i mean it is still technically winter for another month or so so that makes sense but uh of course we just don't get the snow but we've had chilly weather down here actually it's been kind of <laughs> chilly and some some rain keeps finding its way into our forecast so yeah still got a little bit more winter to go I uh, I learned that Valentine's Day or whatever, um, the 14th of February in Peru is known as the Day of Love and Friendship. Really? Yeah. I learned that from a friend who's Peruvian. So um, I just think that's really nice. The Day of Love and Friendship. I like it. Do they buy uh, cheap chocolate for each other shaped in... <laughs> Probably not. Or you keep it on it. No. Yeah. Little little llamas and alpacas on them. Nope. I like um, that because that's very inclusive. That that just says that includes everybody, you know. Yeah. Whereas the Valentine's thing is kind of just oh, if you're in a couple, then you can celebrate. Uh, but love and friendship—that's that's pretty broad, <laughs> right there. And I don't know if anyone saw the show Parks and Recreation but they created something called Galentines. So you and your gal pals. So I feel like there's a lot of different versions of what the day could be. So embrace it however you will. Self-love, friendship love, platonic love, love love, whatever. Or just another day. Just another day. Just another day. So I, um, yeah, I grew up in one of those households. Well, my mom liked to show the love so we'd wake up with little chocolate treats around our head you know on our pillows and stuff like that um but my dad was not he he is valentine's grinch you know it's uh yeah just a money scheme and you're getting ripped off and you shouldn't yeah. uh, it should just be this one day where you're supposed to tell the people that you love that you love them and blah blah blah, blah, blah goes on and on and on and so yeah. i kind of adapted that and then, uh, yeah, I was telling Joanna this. So it was actually Dennis, Chris and Joanna's dad, and mentioned it to him, I don't know, two years ago, three years ago, something. And he had a good, a good reframe. I don't remember his exact words, but the summary was, sure, it is that, but um, 
if there's a reason to celebrate your love and caring for someone, then take it. Like, why put a limit on days that we're going to show love? Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that was, yeah, it made me think about it differently where it's like, sure, it might be a commercialized holiday, but why is it, it's not wrong to still celebrate your caring for other people. And it just gives you another opportunity to do so. So you might as well do it. True. And you can do it in your own way, right? Like, um, like Joanna was saying, it could be two friends or just anyone that you care about. And it could be in any way that you want. It could be a little text message or a few words or yeah. if it is a gift, it's a gift. It doesn't really matter. You're just sharing your caring. But, uh, but growing up, we would always wake up to uh, a pack of cinnamon hearts and chocolate and stuff like that. And my parents always honored the day. It's nice. Not for each other, or for, I guess for each other as well as for the kids. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. Yeah. I I kind of have a tradition with my boys that I um, make a make a little handmade card of some sort and leave it for them in the morning, kind of sitting at their at the table where they eat breakfast, and it just says here here are the things you know I'm proud to be your father, and here here are the things I love about you. And try to be pretty specific in some ways, you know. I love your sense of humor. I love how you play with the dog. I love how how you laugh with your friends. All those things. That's great. Yeah. I don't know. Nice, a nice handmade card showing love and appreciation. That's wonderful. Showing love and appreciation, not giving money to those corporations who are trying to capitalize on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, just like you made your own card. <laughs> so I get to be both Grinch, Grinch, and the loving person on the day. But honestly, I I really like the the Peruvian way. I, I, what if we made a campaign, a, a petition to just change ours to Love and Friendship Day too, and it's see how? Like, yeah, I I celebrated Galentine's with my friends this year. Like, we went out for dinner, and we kind of we did that last year too. Um, huh. Girls' dinner and. It's just a nice reason to get together. That sounds nice. Yeah. Sounds, sounds lovely. I like that. Especially with like kind of the lull, you know, there's Christmas and all the socializing and then you don't have anything in January. It's kind of nice to have something to look forward to. So we went out not on the 14th. We actually were out on the Friday or before. So whatever that would have been, the second or the third or the fourth or yep. something like that. Nice. Yeah. Sounds like fun. Indeed. Uh, I've got something fun coming up too. I want to share with you guys. Uh, I think you guys know that I play I play music with the with a group of psychologists um, down here. Old, we're old friends, and we get together every just just about every Friday night and play music. And we've been doing this for years and years and years. And every once in a while, we get asked to play someone's like backyard party. And so <laughs> tomorrow night, we're going to play someone's backyard. That's uh, so great. Outdoors. So it's going to be a little, little chilly. Not, there's not going to be snow on the ground. That's for sure. But, uh, but also the funny thing is it's, it's like, it's right in the neighborhood. So they said, well, we've tried to tell the, you know, alert the neighbors about the music and stuff. Um, but we've got to play kind of early. We're supposed to end by like 8 p.m. So are you are you playing at Mandy Moore's house? <laughs> She's not, <near> her. <laughs> not playing at Mandy Moore's house. No, I didn't even know that Mandy Moore lives in this area, but Joe knew that before I did. So yeah, big fan. Big fan. Yeah. Well no, that's awesome, right? Mandy has not invited me yet. So it'll be it'll be kind of fun. That's great. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, yeah. How did they find out about you guys? Like, have they heard you play before, or? Uh, yeah. In a way, the uh, the guy who invited us, it's it's actually his band is playing too. His band is playing after us, and he, the guy who lives in this house, gave me guitar lessons last year. Oh, cool. So I go back every once in a while to learn guitar lessons, so I can keep 
improving my skills. And uh, he was my guitar teacher and he was great. And uh, he came to one of our shows uh, in October. And then when he was having this little gig, he said, I think you guys would be great to uh, to be like the warm up band for his band. So I'm going to go over to his house. It'll be fun. That'll be a great time. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I kind of secretly kind of hope that someone calls the police on us. We get shut down because that's a very kind of rock and roll thing, you know. Yeah. Do you have like a a persona when you're in the band? Like, do you dress all rocker like, or like have a costume or something? Like I a- I go in full leather pants. Yeah, are you familiar with the band Kiss? I kind of <laughs> go in that full face makeup thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, not really. I'm not. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of a. A, a very different stage persona. I just kind of go up there and play the guitar, and okay. I might I might dance around a little bit because I think our our tunes are pretty groovy. But uh, I don't. I am not a showboat uh, lead guitarist guy. You know, lighting his guitar on fire or smashing it on the stage or anything like that. That's not me. Or like matching jumpsuits that are reminiscent of ABBA. <laughs> well, that would be great. Blue, sparkly, bell-bottomed, no? I would be open to that for a show. I think that'd be kind of fun, but uh, honestly, it's probably tomorrow night it's going to be blue jeans and a flannel because it's going to be cold outside, so that's about it. All right, then. Nothing too flashy. That'll be fun. You know what else will be fun? Our final book club will be fun. Mm-hmm. that's right we have done several book clubs through this podcast and tonight we're going to do the last one and i'm so glad because it's one of my favorite books but before we get to the book club we should probably introduce it joe are you ready ready hit it Lead singer Joe in the band. A lot of auto tune. I don't know. Yeah, we gotta tap that talent. This is great. Get on a plane first thing in the morning. Let's bring you down here to sing at our show. Maybe she can open up for your band. (laughs) Two p.m. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. You gotta dress like Ava though. If you do, I'll grab one of Brooke's wigs and we'll make it happen. Okay, so final book club. The book is The Gift of Therapy, an open letter to a new generation of therapists and their patients. The author is Irvin Yalom, a Stanford psychiatrist emeritus. And this is a book that has been beloved by many therapists. A lot of interesting... uh, Interesting little tidbits in here. Some things where he says some kind of unconventional things, but uh, I would love to to dive into it with you guys. But first of all, did you guys, did everyone read it? And did you read it or listen to it? I didn't get all the way through it, but I listened. Um, yeah. Good intentions, ran out of time. But I have read it, like actually read it, not listened, uh, twice prior. Yeah. Yeah, listen to it. Uh, that was it. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Um, read it in read it in grad school and then tried to read it again. Didn't get through it this time because I had a hard time tracking it down and I'm a big procrastinator, but I have the physical book of my dad's. Awesome. Yeah. So this book, just for those who haven't read it, 
it's a little different in that there are how many chapters? 87, something like that? 85. 85 chapters. They're they're small. Some of them are only a, a page or half page long. Some of them are four or five pages long. But they're all just kind of little uh tidbits, little snippets. And they they do cut they come across as as advice from Yalom, uh, open letter to new generation of therapists. So it's kind of advice to, to new therapists. Uh, but it's really accessible to everyone, I think, who's ever been in therapy or been a therapist for a long time or just getting started, wherever you are in the in that spectrum. Anyone who's touched on to therapy, because there's a lot of good points in here. But I kind of liked that format, really, of the, the short chapters, because it's uh, digestible that way. It feels like oh, just three three pages here. I can I can dive into that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah very thought provoking ideas. I think over what uh, when you wrote the book was it thirty five or forty five years of clinical practice? Yeah, you're trying to share these little nuggets of information with uh, mm-hmm. younger therapists. So yeah. premise of it's fantastic. Yeah, and that was we figured that out last week. Right, that was twenty four years ago. That he wrote this book. It's crazy. Isn't that right? He's 90 in his mid 90s now. Yeah. He was 70, 70 when he wrote it. Yeah. 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 So yeah. he nearly doubled his experience since writing the book. Um, yes. Years, not quite, but yeah, wild. Just a little interesting background on Yalom because he's he's such a part of the book I mean he, he works so uniquely and his his story really kind of bleeds into his style of therapy but psychiatrist uh family's Russian born and he uh became a psychiatrist and started working in palliative care uh end of life care for people uh and that was what he was doing like running groups with people who were uh, who were dying who were like terminal and run groups and do individual therapy with people who were, were dying. And so this is where a lot of his thoughts and ideas about existentialism kind of came from. And throughout this book and throughout all of his books, really, he, this is a kind of confronting and um, recognizing and being able to um, use that awareness of death to help you kind of get all you can out of life is a major theme for him. Um, mm-hmm. It's not, it's not morbid. It's not, it's not, uh, not terribly dark, but he, he's not shy at all about just talking to people about their death anxiety, their, their fears of dying, their, um, their thoughts about it. And uh, so that's, that's a theme that comes up now and again, like I say, in this book and really in all of his books, mm-hmm. which is which is an interesting approach. Mm-hmm. And he also states from the get go that it's not meant to be like this book is not meant to be a, a manual or a play by play. Or um, he does say like some of the things might be a bit more surprising or you know unconventional. And so, but um, at least he puts it all out there. He's very, um, yeah. Not hiding what the purpose of this book is supposed to be, which is good. Puts it out there. Yeah, it kind of captures his approach to therapy, right? He wants it to be. Uh, he wants to go with the flow, and he he doesn't. Have, he's very much against um, manualized mm-hmm. uh, treatments, and he doesn't want it to be too structured, right? He feels that when doing in doing so, you uh, kind of lose the essence of the, the um, what therapy is about, and and it can limit the benefits of it. Yeah, yeah. So having an individual treatment plan, right? Is that every client that comes in gets their, in his perspective, there needs to be their own treatment plan. Yeah, very personalized. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Create a new therapy for each patient, I think is something he says, right? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because he's he's not, you know, he's kind of against the manualized treatments, you know, 12 sessions and, you know, here's what we'll do on session one. So he doesn't, definitely doesn't like that stuff. Also, interestingly enough, say he's an existentialist and he works in deep ways. He also doesn't really like psychoanalysis, which sometimes people see those as kind of the polarized piece places there. He doesn't really like the psychoanalysis because that felt to him too detached and too like clinical, like uh, not engaging enough. So a big part of Yalom's work is 
he is not at all shy about self-disclosure. Um, you know, the warmth and being really real with his clients is very much an important part of his work. And, and another really significant part that he brings up again in every one of his books is the importance of the here and now, mm-hmm. which um, for those who aren't familiar with that, that's, it's really about even asking a client in, in the moment, how are you feeling with me right now? How are we doing right now in this moment? Which is, if you've never done that, that's very intimate work. That's very, uh, you know, you're getting out of the, just out of your head, you're getting out of your stories and you're talking about us right here in this moment, which is very uh, vulnerable and intimate space. And he goes there too. He'll say, well, here's what I'm feeling right now. And here's what I'm feeling about what we're doing. And here's what I feel about you. And, uh, it's a really huge part of his work. That's all about the relationship, right? Yeah. So it's a very interpersonal approach, um, but it's uh, very collaborative, I guess. Like it's not about, hey, I'm the I'm the specialist, I'm the teacher. It's like two people on a journey together. Yeah. Um, so he feels that therapy is like a dress rehearsal for real life, or the yeah. problems of real life will play out within the therapeutic context, right? Yeah, it's a microcosm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he even refers. He likes to use the term fellow travelers yes. versus client and patient or um, whatever, uh, therapist and patient or client, uh, fellow travelers. So there's an equal level there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel there's uh, definitely an art to that, though, in terms yeah. of disclosure and and uh, making sure that your issues and concerns don't impact the therapeutic process. So I think he does talk about that as well, just being very careful there. Um you got to be very tactful in terms of the disclosure side of things, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's the general rule of thumb is you disclose as much as will be helpful to some degree to the, to the client, but that's a little subjective sometimes too, you know, um, could it be helpful for you to share that you went through something similar to that, to, to what the client went through? Um, yeah. Could you, is it helpful for you to share with the client? how their story makes you feel in that moment, right? Sometimes that could be beneficial, maybe sometimes not. There's there's all sorts of uh, judgment calls that that go into that. But but Yalom, I think in this, especially in this book, he, he shares some that I think would make some therapists cringe. Like, oh, you're, you're yeah. talking about your feelings uh, with your client in that way, or you're sharing, you know, some personal story about your kid or something like that, that uh, some therapists might not feel comfortable about. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, the vulnerability there. Um, I guess it has to do a lot with the authenticity, right? Just being very genuine and honest and upfront. And so you feel as that can enhance the therapy. I think there's even one chapter where he talks about allowing the client to be the teacher. So allowing them to offer you some input in some kind of ways, which I, which I, again, I think uh, if you're creating um, a new therapy for each client, that would have to be obviously got to pick the right situation, the right client for that type of approach. Absolutely. I I want to throw out another little controversial uh, chapter he mentions in here where he says, if at all possible, I like to visit a patient's home um, during a course of therapy, which when I would go, when I would, I would would use this, I taught using this book and uh, taught to graduate students and we would talk through this stuff and boy, that would freak them out. (laughs) What? Go to their home? Yeah. I'll just throw that out there because I know there are different types of therapy that that's part of what you do, but he's talking about even just individual private practice clients just going to their home. Yeah, for sure. There's a personal element to it. Mm -hmm. He also talks about allowing your clients to impact you. So you want to be moved by their stories and reflect on that. And, and after outside of the uh, therapy sessions, which, uh, you know, the training is you want to do what you can to support that client during counseling. But after you, you want to focus on your aspects of your life. But I thought that was kind of an interesting chapter as well. Uh, you mentioning the home visits there. <laughs> I can't help but smirk because <laughs> if I had a therapist, do like a visit to my house with the, and I wonder if they're allowed to prepare for it, if they're allowed to clean or if they know he's coming, sure. if it's a show up because he mentions a well-groomed uh, lady, young woman, well-groomed or blah, 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 blah. And then like her house is just 
a disaster. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> interesting. I relate to that a little bit. But I feel like what conclusions would, anyways, I just, that would be very personal, but a very insightful, I think. So it's well, funny because I, I read, or I read this over again and I see how different that is since the pandemic. Yes, I was going to say, uh, part of it, we have seen our clients at home through the pandemic virtually. Um, and I feel like clients, no offense clients, so some of them are on top of it where they think about their background and what is visible and what's not. And um, some don't. And I feel like the longer that it's gone on, the less they kind of care about it. Yeah. Because people are just desensitized to it and it's the norm and so you can get a glimpse of the per like the room that they're in um one of my clients recently I've been working with her in person and then what's going on we had to do a virtual session for some reason I forgot what it was so we we're at her, uh, she lives with her parents she's a young adult so we're in her room and she gave me a tour of her room like yeah. she has like collections of things so she was like oh this is my collection of this and this is my and like gave me a little little tour of her space and things that are important to her and things that bring her joy and yeah it was isn't great. it great i mean it's great right you like that right yeah i think it's i think it's kind of neat and cool and you can kind of you get a more of a vibe about the person right that's true i've asked clients like to describe what their day yeah. looks like or certain spaces of their home because you can learn a lot about what gives them meaning and purpose. And we used to work with a family therapist who would go to a house yes. and have That's a meeting with the family uh, just to understand those dynamics at home. Well, she would bring her own meal. Oh, okay. So it's sure. my understanding. She yeah. went at meal time as an observer. So she would bring her own meal and and eat, but say, do what you would normally do is if I'm not here. Yeah, which obviously there's going to be a little there's going to be things that are different, but she could kind of get a sense of um, interactions. Yeah, the interactions, the prepping of the food, how they eat, do they talk, where do they eat, what happens after, um, just kind of the routine of things. Yeah. 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 It, it All of that, it's not it's not to sit in judgment. It's not to. uh you know, it's not about diagnosis or something like that. It's just, it's just about helping to understand a person better, right? Like yes. this is okay. This is the environment that you you came from, and this is this is where you are most of the time, or a lot of the time, and um, and maybe even distinguishing if 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 it were like a one off, you talk to someone for a long time, then you go to their house, you can kind of see, oh, that's how you're describing this interaction with this person, or that's how you describe your room. It, really helps to to kind of fill in the blanks for people for sure yeah. do you do any of you ask for feedback from your clients after like in some i'm like in what way like yalom has that he started it with some clients where he'd ask you know he'd write about his experience of the session and he'd have them write about it um right i thought that was really interesting very it really went deeper. I don't know, but I just, I feel like that's more than a, Hey, how'd you feel or any feedback from me? Um, but yeah, just curious if there's been any degree of that for you guys and gal. Not, not to that extent, but it's more like the uh, Scott Miller stuff, the feedback measures, not that I use measures per se. It's more of like um, encouraging feedback from, mm -hmm. from day one. So the more feedback, the better. And um We'll take that personally like just so usually checking in mm -hmm. throughout the session or after the session and say hey how we're we doing here right yeah um, yeah and i yeah more informally like after a few sessions or whatnot then i'll ask how we're doing or like yeah are we on track are we getting to where you want to go um yeah and reaffirming like you can give feedback and I want to make sure that it's helpful for you. So yeah. you need to direct that process. You need to tell me if it's not working so I can change. And, yeah. Because yeah. there's studies on that. The more feedback a client provides, constructive feedback, the less likely they are to drop off. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I do something similar to you, Brooke. But Irv Yalom takes it to another level. That's for sure. 
because it's again yeah. so relational. Yeah. I'd say that I create a new therapy for each client sort of thing in that. There's some clients that I'm I'm probably asking every session, how are, how are we doing? How is this working for you? Cuz I cuz I know that that's that's vital that they're 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 needing that uh level of engagement, I think. I think other folks I kind of know that we're we're clicking along rather well. I, I don't really have a, any sense that there's any problem there. I, I certainly at the beginning of therapy will say that uh, anything that comes up between us is is some of the best material we can work with. So it turns this this into a laboratory instead of a lecture, you know, or, or something of that sort. Like we can really wrestle with these things. It's a microcosm of life, right? But uh, but yeah, for some clients, I, I check in quite a bit. Sometimes it's more sporadically. Yeah. It's all about the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Very, very relational. Um, so with this book, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question, but this with this book being written, you know, 25 years ago, um, do you think that it's still very applicable today? Yeah. I think it's more, I think it's more, do you think, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Do you think grad students are still reading this book? Mine are. (laughs) (laughs) I teach them. Um, I don't know if they are honestly, Brooke, because I I actually, when you said, is it applicable today? I, I think it, it's more applicable today because I don't think this is the sort of therapy a lot of grad students are learning about i agree i feel like it's becoming more and more about protocol and yeah um just structure standardized treatment uh like let's give you all of the cbt skills and the dbt's like let's fill you with all these skills and they're um walking out sure they have all these skills but they they're missing how to be relational yeah we're like coming at it from a fix it mentality almost sometimes. Um, yeah. So I agree, but yeah, I feel like the majority of counselors that I know in our, uh, kind of like the demographic, like how long we've been practicing for demographic, I feel like we all have a copy of this book. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's slowed down. I don't know. It may have. It may have. It, it's funny, though, because I honestly, in reading this book, I think you could hand this to any therapist and they'd say, oh, yeah, this is great stuff. Like, this is this is really important, useful stuff. Um, but I don't think many people practice this way in, the, in a relational way, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But that's a really good, good question, a really good point there. Because I, I really, I think this is being lost because this, this type of therapy is, is hard. It's hard to find measurables. I mean, it's kind of going to why, why we have manualized treatments and very brief, you know, eight session protocols and those sorts of things. It's because that's what insurance companies want to pay for. They want quick uh, symptom reduction results within a short amount of time. So they don't have to pay for long-term therapy. And a lot of the things that Yalom talks about, you know, oh, you know, can I increase my capacity to be intimate with another person? That's not that's that easily measurable. And that's not often even something that someone thinks they need to work on when they come into therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I mean, that also, I think there is a big difference in the insurance game for the U.S. versus Canada. Mm. Uh, yeah, so we had talked about that prior. So up here, people have X number of dollars through extended health, but they can see whoever they want. And um, it's not like the counselor has to provide reports or treatment plans or mm. anything. You can talk about whatever the heck you want. It's just the invoice goes to their provider and the they pay the client back. Like that's um, everything else is hands off. They don't know anything else. Uh, right. And you can 
pick to use that time however you want. So we have a bit more freedom up here to use something that's more relational. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm but, curious about it. But accessibility is important though. Like a lot of people don't have money that they can allocate towards therapy for They're, uh, years of, yeah. of, of counseling or therapy, yeah. right? And it, it's costly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of considerations and those who maybe work for, um, for less or, or for not-for-profits or government agencies, like they want to see a certain amount of clients each week. So it'd be tough to have a caseload of the same 20 or 30 clients for a year, you know? Yeah. So I think there's some barriers there for some, some folks. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to turn this into a little humble brag, but I was able to meet with Irvin Yellen one time. Yeah. Talked with them a little bit. Um, but to this point, one of the things that I was, I asked him. I asked him a question, and this is, if if, if anyone's interested, it's it's a, there's a, a blog post I did called Seven Questions for Irvin Yalom, and it talks about this conversation I had with him. And uh, I asked him, "Is psychotherapy dying?" Right, and this was 13 years ago or more that I talked to him about this. I asked him, "Is psychotherapy dying?" And he said, "Oh, I think it's in definite trouble, but I think there will always be people around like you and me who want to help, who really want to help." I can't imagine the desire for self-understanding is going to disappear. I have a hunch that certain trends come in various waves. Certainly CBT is so much in vogue right now. Then he said, someone's got to do more research. I'd really like to know when a CBT therapist really gets distressed, who does he go see? I have a strong sense. It's not another CBT therapist. I think he wants to go and search for somebody who's wise and can help him explore deeper levels. There's probably psychotherapy research out there. I haven't read but it would certainly be interesting to know that. If you come across the data, let me know. Then he said, I certainly see a lot of them in therapy. <laughs> so here's Yalom saying, um, the, the people seeking meaning and seeking depth are are coming to, to his kind of work or coming to him specifically. Um, it's, it's just an interesting little exchange there where he's like, I don't think this is this is helping people when it comes to the, uh, the deeper, more significant issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the manualized treatment folks, there is definitely a space and place for it. Like yep. you said, accessibility and whatnot. Um, and I feel like a lot of people who come to counseling for the first time, that's kind of what they think they want. I'm like, I'm experiencing anxiety and I want you to teach me skills and strategies how to manage my anxiety. And you do that and then they're like, oh, wait, there's a little bit more to this, right? Um, it kind of opens the door. Yep. Yep. And that is oftentimes the case. It is interesting because the, and the amount of people who come and say, my doctor referred me here and they suggested CBT. Yes. So often. <laughs> Because it's, I think, you know, the evidence base and things like that. Or, but no, I haven't heard of them say my doctor, you know, wanted just some interpersonal work, or I need to work on my relationships, or I need to, you know, I don't know. to say um, trauma therapy. Yeah. No, it's all. It all says CBT or just counseling. Yeah, yeah for just, sure. Mention in the research, but you know, I I do think Ergalum is a little harsh towards. Um, manualized treatments and cbt actually I had a quote here to capture it he said at its very core the flow of therapy should be spontaneous forever following unanticipated river bends river beds it is grotesquely distorted by being packaged into formula that enables inexperienced inadequately trained therapists or computers to develop a uniform course of therapy um and then he talks about the managed care movement right and how it's a true abomination spawned by the managed care movement is the ever greater reliance on protocol therapy, in which therapists are required to adhere to prescribe sequence. So I, I, I think he's pretty passionate about that. And he has this idea of what therapy is, but uh, the right approach for the right client, right? I've had lots and lots and lots and lots of clients that come in who they would not be interested in the, the, the type of therapy, the relational type of therapy that Herbiel speaks about, right? They kind of want something structured. Um, they don't want to maybe hear as much disclosure or no. how you feel about um, what's going on within you in that moment. They, they want a bit more um, 
um, bit more of maybe the therapist client type of approach versus the, the two traveler approach, you know? So that's my little spiel. CBT. There we go. CBT. Counterpoint taken. Got it. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm eclectic or integrative, but um, just trying to find the best approach for the right client. But I do love the depth work and I like the dynamic stuff as well. Yeah. Going into the past, uh, I think that is so beneficial. So, um, yeah. Uh, here's a quote from the book that I love too. He says, Sometimes I simply remind patients that sooner or later they will have to relinquish the goal of having a better past. <laughs> I love that because so many times that's that's what we encounter is someone like ah this bad thing happened I will I want it to go away or I want it to get better I want to find a way to look at it better feel it you know but oftentimes our past is our past we have to kind of accept that right mm-hmm. certainly if there's traumas we can work through those but like we're not going to change the details of our past mm-hmm. yeah no for sure no that's good but yeah, tons of bits of uh, information in there. Yeah, but I think it adds again a depth to uh, the therapeutic process, and even for those operating in other modalities, there's definitely lots of nuggets of information there that can enhance your practice, right? I think yeah, I think it's such an important book for therapists to read because I think it's it can be so easy, oddly enough, in such like an uh, interpersonal profession. Um, the human gets lost actually like the human interaction of two people in a room even though that's 100% what you're doing somehow it gets lost and when it gets lost that's not effective treatment mm-hmm. right right and i think yeah i think if there are younger therapists newer like newer therapists who haven't read this book yet that happen to be listening you i highly recommend reading the book because there's yeah, going to be moments or or even experienced therapists that haven't read it. I think it's so important to as a grounding tool for what we're really doing. It is grounding. Here's another sobering quote from from Yalom here. He says, "Psychotherapy is a demanding vocation, and the successful therapist must be able to tolerate the isolation, anxiety, and frustration that are inevitable in the work." Yeah, and. I think a lot of people come into the field thinking I'm going to help people and it's, you know, and it's a, it's a very social thing. Cause all I do is talk to people all day and it's uh, it's all very uplifting. But I mean, as we were talking before this, this uh, we started the podcast, that's really not true. There's, there's, I mean, sometimes that's, that's the case, but there are a lot of times where there can be a lot of frustration in this work and there can be, uh, you know, weeks where we're kind of thinking about, uh, worried about some of our clients or, or frustrated with some some ways the work's going. It's it's an odd profession where there's, we've mentioned this before, sometimes I feel like I'm so fortunate to do the best job in the world. I just talk to people about important things all day. And other times where it's like, oh my God, this work is seems impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Yeah. And Irvir Alamo also highlights the importance of uh, having therapy himself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think with that level of vulnerability and, and just that relational component, like he, I think he's constantly trying to reflect and analyze how the process is impacting him, right? Yeah. And he's had quite the list of therapists. He yeah. listed you there and like some big wigs. Rolla May, right? Yes. Like that's kind of incredible, really, to mm-hmm. have. And uh, who are we to know who the next person is, um, really? But yeah, it's so great that he's tried so many different styles and different therapists, and yeah. uh, because he's really, you can only go as far with your clients as you've gone yourself, right? Uh, and you want to continually do personal work as a therapist. Otherwise, you're going to be stunted as well. And so, uh, yeah, I just think that's incredible. That's amazing. I've always found that statement interesting because I swear I've had clients who've gone farther than me. Yeah. (laughs) I swear I've had clients who are able to break through barriers that I still can't, you know? Um, Where you see them as more brave or courageous, or I do, where I'm like, 
holy tomatoes like yeah you don't see themselves as strong but like it's incredible yeah the strength that these people have like people have and the yeah the courage and the bravery and oh carry on and they're so resilient they don't feel like it but they are they are absolutely yeah so and then true. like what would i do in their situation i'm like crumble i might crumble <laughs> exactly exactly like you said you told your mom what <laughs> you know whatever that might be it's like oh my gosh i'm amazed it's a it's wonderful mm-hmm. yeah yeah we have any other any other uh, tidbits that were of interest to you guys from the Allen book? Um, I like how he empathized or em- emphasized empathy. Um, not only you being empathetic as a therapist, but teaching your client to be empathetic. Um, and you know you're not yeah. And he kind of said, "Is it looking out?" other person's window or being able to look out their window because he had oh. a situation when about a client driving with their parent and they couldn't see the same thing out the window so I thought that was a good yeah just trying to understand trying to look out their window and see what they see yeah that was a great story so um Joanna do you want to expand that story for the listeners yeah it was a client of his who um it was a lady who she's then dying of breast cancer, but she talked about difficulties in her relationship with her dad. He's kind of just this disgruntled guy. And she took an opportunity of him driving her down to college to hopefully chat. But you look out the window and just complain about all the garbage in this stream. And she looked out and all she could see was a stream that was actually quite unspoiled. And she's like, oh, there he is just kind of focusing on the negative. And they ended up just not, it didn't meet her expectations. So they just sat in silence, kind of not talking. And then at a different time, she drove that same trip. But this time she was in the driver's seat where her dad had been. And she actually noticed that there was two streams. So he was looking at a different stream that actually was spoiled and garbage. And the one she saw was a different one. And so she kind of, it just kind of was an aha moment for her that she was seeing something different than her dad. And she had, um, Mm -hmm. and she only saw part of the story. It was a different thing she was seeing. So I thought it was a. Yeah, I think that captured it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have to, we might not understand. Yeah, it's just trying to get their perspective. And he talked about doing that by maybe repeating what you're hearing and, and double checking that you're understanding their their experience and their story um, along the way. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's a beautiful story. Yeah, and yeah. A little sad too, but that's okay. I think she was a big moment for her, and and he says he he wishes he could tell her, like Irving Yalong um, talked about how he wished because uh, she's now passed away, but how impactful that was for him and many clients he shared that with. So it's um, a story that keeps on giving, I guess. In a less impactful way, Chris and I do a similar thing where I take a photo and he takes a photo, and then we look at each other's photos from the same spot because Chris for. You're, you don't, he's about a foot taller than I am, if not more. So it's always really funny actually to see, or like I'll stand in a box and Chris will stand down in a hole. And then we're like, that's what you see. Like, it's a whole different world. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, that's empathy. That is empathy. And it takes work to be able to do that, you know? I mean, that's that's kind of the 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 whole area of, of countertransference that we, we whether you're analytic or not it doesn't really matter like if you had an experience with abuse say and some and a client comes in and, and starts to talk about how they were abused it's easy to jump to the conclusion that their abuse was just like yours or their experience was just like yours and everything they they went through was just like what you did and we really have to work hard at times to say, okay, put the brakes on my experience. Let me really try to understand it from their standpoint, not from, not make assumptions from where, what I went through. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is the the empathic process, but it's it, sometimes there are blockages there that uh, we have to be aware of and work through. 
It's true. It's it's really a fine balance, hey, to be in that therapeutic chair as the therapist to balance between like, as if you're hearing this pattern or story for the first time mm-hmm. and that also portraying that this is not the first time you've heard it. Um, because I think a, the client doesn't want you to respond as if it were, this is the first time you've ever encountered this or heard this type of situation before, because then they're different or abnormal or, you know, there, there's comfort in knowing that this happens to other people, mm-hmm. but to respond as if this is the first time, right? Like you're not, um, yeah, becoming invalidating by saying, oh yeah, mm-hmm. you bet, da, 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 and kind of just wipe through it, mm-hmm. but to actually sit with it, give it space, draw it out a bit, yeah, give yeah. it that attention and focus. I think draw, drawing it out a bit is so important. Yeah. So I remember seeing a fellow a couple of years ago, and he had seen a therapist before me, and he was talking about some significant loss he's experienced. Um, his son had passed away. And the therapist previously goes, oh, I know, I know how that kind of feels. And he blew up and says, how the hell would you know what that feels like? Have you lost your son? Um, so when he mentioned that to me, luckily I said, I can't imagine how that feels. Like, And then I, I asked if he could elaborate a bit more on it. We talk about the, uh, the impact of that, the feelings and whatnot. Um, and then it's, it's kind of uh, try to capture that, right? So mm-hmm. just trying to, so he's kind of teaching me how, mm-hmm. how he, how that's impacted him versus mm-hmm. me assuming that I've had that similar experience. Yeah. Anyways. But, but even Chris, even if you had your own loss of a child or something, you still wouldn't say, oh, I know how you feel. You know, you still, you'd still try to understand their experience or have them teach you. Right. Yeah. Because that, because exactly. that experience, like that response could be coming from a really good place that you're saying, Hey, no, I've experienced loss too. You're trying to show that you have empathy for that. Yep. It's, uh, you know, sometimes yeah. if you're rushed up process and people can be upset by that, not all people, of course. But- yeah. Or to say, Oh yes, that's a, you know, sometimes it's helpful to say this, but you, you have to hone in your skills as a therapist, but to say, yes, that's a common response. Mm-hmm. There's a time and place for a comment like that. Right. Yeah. Um, and not when somebody is opening their heart and yeah. being so vulnerable early on, in, and early on in the therapeutic process. Yeah. And it, because they're not looking for it to be normalized in that sense, like they're looking for it to be for empathy and validation. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's going to be other moments where clients do want to hear that or they'll ask, like, is that, is that normal? Have other clients you've seen, yeah. have they ever shared anything like that? Like they're looking for that affirmation. True. Um, or the assurance, like a little bit, yeah. yeah there's something. That, oh, it's so, a good way to connect. So, totally. I, I guess this whole conversation kind of captures how it can be tricky. And um, luckily, Irvi Allen talks about empathy a lot in his book, and it has some good lessons there. Yeah. The do's and don'ts, right? Yeah, I think it's this line between trying to say, I, 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 I. I understand you to the degree that I'm not going to judge you or I, I don't think that what you're talking about is is really odd or, or, you know, out of line, but I don't really get the entirety of your experience. So let me let's know more about that. Right. Yeah. Like the genuine curiosity. Yeah. Moment to moment, hour by hour, client by client for our entire careers. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead, Ryan. Do you have a, another thought there? Just the, the curiosity piece is an interesting one, too, because <laughs> um, a couple of years ago, uh, Lori Gottlieb wrote a book called uh, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, right? right. Uh, and she talked about how uh, one one thing that she talks about with her clients is uh, if she's showing some interest in the client and the client's not really wanting to go there, she'll say, well, I wonder, it's, it's interesting. I wonder why I'm so much more curious about you than you are. Right. And mm-hmm. Yalom said that 12 years ago in my interview, <laughs> like he, 
he i think he she read him i think and and like adopted that and it's it's great i think it's a really wonderful um thing because that curiosity is such a big part yeah. of of our work and and we're trying to help people become curious about themselves and develop that insight and really get you know, make it a quest to kind of understand themselves better which is uh, i think worthwhile pursuit um but I just I just say that to say that Yalom's work has trickled down in ways that I not, not everyone even understands. Like, um, yeah, yeah. Laurie's you know the Gottlieb book sold a lot more than Yalom's books ever have, but uh, she's taken some ideas from him and and ran with them, you know. Which that's what we do in this field; we borrow other people's ideas. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep, that'll happen. That'll yeah, happen. It's a great. Uh, Obviously, he's a great storyteller. He's written a lot of books mm -hmm. and flows yeah. very nicely. And again, his the authenticity shines through. Um, he, yeah, it's he's one of a of, of few authors that I know who can write textbooks because he's written two textbooks, one on existential therapy and one on group therapy. If you ever talk to a group therapist, Yalom's like the guru of group psychotherapy as well. Um, he's written these non-fiction books that are excellent and he's written a handful of fiction books that are fascinating as well okay now is that right yeah mm -hmm. for sure i'm gushing he's i'm glad we're, we're talking about him now he's he's like my my i don't know mentor godfather sort of Your yoga. my yoga yeah yoga. yogi yeah it's great oh so, having said that, we should probably rate this book. Don't you think? Before we do, would you recommend this book for clients? Or for mm. I would. I would for clients who are it really interested in, in therapy and interested in this process. Sure, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like hand it to someone in a second session and say. You should really get into this uh, if they're just just new to the field. If someone has some interest in psychology and interest in in therapy, um, I would. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, kind of similar to you. If someone has, um, if you're doing this type of therapy as well, um, the existential piece, I think, or obviously, is very influential and has a lot of knowledge in that regard. So. Um, yeah, I think it could be useful for some, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be a for everyone, that's no. for sure. but the right person, sure. Cool, Joe. What do you think? Um, yeah, I don't. I, I'm trying to think of what purpose I would recommend it. Um, so I, yeah, it probably wouldn't be on my list of ones to recommend unless there was an interest in psychology or something or the process or wanting to read up on it. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I would, <laughs> not because I don't like the book. I think yeah. it's more beneficial for a therapist. Um, yeah. but it, I could see how it could be for curious, um, clients, but yeah, it probably wouldn't be. A, my initial thing was, I don't know if I would. Yeah. I'd say that a maybe a, a gateway, some gate, a couple gateway books to this because this is really about the therapeutic process. But he he's written these two books, "Love's Executioner" and "Creatures of a Day," which are um, they're all just stories. They're storytelling about clients that he's worked with that they're uh, identifying information as disguised and all that kind of stuff, or he's asked permission. Um, but they're great little, they're books that have probably, each one of them has probably 12 different stories of really interesting transformative processes that people went through that are good stories, even if it just seems like you're reading fiction, it's, they're great stories. Um, it also says something about the therapeutic process. And a lot of the things that he touches on in this book are included in in those books as well. So That's great. For those listening who are mm -hmm. not uh, yeah. a therapist, so yeah. yeah. So we're yeah. rating this. Okay. On a scale of zero fingers to ten fingers, we will lift them up into the viewing screen in a second. Here, 
So, Irvin Yalom, the gift of therapy on a scale of one to 10. Three, two, one, go. <laughs> oh, look at that. We got crooked fingers. What are you doing, Chris? <laughs> Two and a half or three quarter? It's uh, uh, 8.9. Um, yeah, it's funny. Nine was the first one that came to mind for me. Um, I like how there's just silence on the for our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're all looking at each other's fingers, listeners. Um, I said nine, but I, I think I'm just a bit shy to go 10. I don't think I've gone 10 for one of our, but, and I'll take the fingers down now. Um, so I'm, I was trying to think of what would be a 10 and why haven't I done that? Or is it just like, oh, I don't know. Anyways, but I don't have anything bad to say. Be curious about yourself, Joe. What do you think? No. What would a 10 be? What would it take? I'll, I'll reflect. I don't know. Right. That's, yeah. But yeah, would... I'm with you. I, I thought nine right away. I also, I don't think I've given a 10 either. Um, and I think the one point that would push it like but then it would change the whole book and that would be accessibility of readers like we just talked about this is for a therapist I think this book is a 10 out of 10 but for average person in the world who's not a therapist I don't think it's even close to a 10. But do you think it serves its purpose which is an open letter to therapists and do you think it does a good job of that? Yes. Because it's intended audience audience 10 out of 10 yeah there you go because i think there's a lot of books that we can do and it'd be like well that's not going to be for doctors or you know like you could look at it different ways that's a good point anyways yeah yeah i think um it's obviously a fantastic book an iconic book and i think every therapist should read it i think there's uh a few moments in there maybe cringe a little bit and uh, i think you gotta be very careful in terms of uh implementing a lot of these ideas you have to be very tactful um so yeah i think you gotta use a bit of caution there but um yeah fantastic i, I can't it's tough to think of more iconic books for for therapists right just my perspective of course i give it a 10 out of 10 because oh. i wanted to give some book a 10 out of 10 so i'm giving this one a 10 out of 10 yeah the only other one that came close was uh, Vivek Murthy's book. I really yeah. loved that one too. Yeah, so we have been our first one, right? Together. That was a great one. I did like that one. But, I also like what happened to you. Oh, what happened to you was good too. Yeah. That was a great one. Yeah. Very good book. But uh, I really just, I, I love his writing style. I, I, I like the fact that I don't agree with everything in this book because it makes me wrestle with it and I've got to, you know, think about why I don't agree with it. I've got to think about what I would do differently. All of those things. It's, it, it's a very much a thinking process. I have to wrestle with a lot of things in this book. Um, but also, if if I were the if I were a lottery winner, one of the things that I would do is I would mail this book out to every therapist in North America. I think because. I agree with what you said, Brooke. We're not doing this kind of therapy. We're not teaching this kind of therapy anymore. And I think I think that's a loss. I mean, not that it's for everybody, Chris. I agree with you there too. I don't think that this is, you know, someone has a different set of issues. They're not going to want to go as deep as Yalom does. But I think I, I think that unfortunately we're even getting to a place where I don't even know that new therapists know that this kind of therapy exists or that this is even a possibility, you know? Crazy. So I I want therapists to read this and some clients who are particularly interested in therapy, I think would benefit from too. So so that's my stance. There we go. Nice. You did it. Yeah. Last book. Last book is in the books. And next week will be, or next time we meet, whenever that will be, will be the uh the grand finale. So we will graduate. <laughs> we will yes we will and that'll be fun we're gonna dress up we are and as we said before we encourage all listeners to dress up for the last episode as well yeah as ridiculous as that really is but why not <laughs> i guess on something and send a carrier pigeon to let us know 
<laughs> and a carrier pigeon, the only way we can be contacted. That's right. So we will sign off on the book club. We will say goodbye. We will, we will, we will also graduate. We will retire Joe's song, uh, which is uh, a sad thing, but that's bittersweet. But that's it for us. So like us or don't really at this point or subscribe maybe or don't. Stitcher, Apple, YouTube, Google, Spotify. Podbean. Podbean. And send us a carrier pigeon. And see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.